Welcome back to The Table Women, a podcast by and about women in the entertainment industry. I'm Sarah DeForest. And I'm Victoria Banks. It's season three, and we've got so many wonderful conversations and creators of all kinds to share with you. You know the drill. Pull up a chair and get nice and comfy, because everyone is welcome and everyone deserves a seat at The, the table. table. Do what you want, work what you got, say what you think, and don't let them stop you. Stop you. Don't, don't let them stop Kelly Benini graduated from the Bandier program at Syracuse University in 2014. During her time there, she was the concert director for the student programming board University Union. There she booked the likes of Travis Scott, 21 Pilots, Kendrick Lamar, Macklemore, Ryan Lewis, Kesha, Nikki Romero, and many others. After graduating, she headed straight to California to work for Creative Artists Agency, CAA. She started at the bottom as a ticket counts clerk, then took on a music contracts role. After five months, she found herself working for the head of music and managing partner Rob Light. In 2018, she was brought on by top 40 pop and country hit producer Busby, famous for working with Marin Morris, Carly Pierce, and Pink. She worked to help grow his company, working with clients such as Carly Pierce on Big Machine, Ryan Griffin, Warner Records' Connor Matthews and Lindsay Lomas, and Riley Roth. In August 21, Benini accepted a role as the artist relations manager at the two-way live streaming platform called Applause, where she is already knee-deep in artist programming, with one of the initiatives being a weekly series highlighting three emerging artists called Live From My Living Room. The Table presents a conversation with Kelly Benini. All right, guys, it's a Friday. It's a Bones Day for anybody who's on TikTok as much as I am. And we have Kelly Benini in the house. Thank you so much for sharing your morning with us, Kelly. Of course. I'm happy to be here, and I appreciate you asking me, and uh, I'm excited to chat. We're really excited to have you. You've had such a really cool arc of your career, and you're now in a space that merges tech and music together in a really cool way. That's like, I feel like the prime example for where we're moving into in the music industry and the entertainment industry. Um, But for the people who just heard a little bit about you in your bio, but may have some questions, can you give us a little breakdown of how you got in the industry and your kind of uh, arc and how you got here? Totally. Um, Well, growing up, music was always the most important thing in my life. It was there for me, you know, when, you know, there, there was pain, there was joy, there was happiness. Um, and, uh, I mean, it started as early as high school, you know, I was going to concerts. Um, I would go to local shows in Long Island and, um, I noticed a lot of these shows, they were being put together by just like local promoters. And I was like, well, I could do that. That seems pretty simple. All you do is get a venue and you bring artists, you sell tickets. It seems so simple in my mind. Um, so, you know, I started my freshman year of high school, um, booking punk shows in Long Island at my church and we did it, um, we did it yearly. Um, so I did four over the course of my four years of high school and it was so fun for me because it was such a nice way to bring together community. Um, the first year we did breast cancer, um, awareness as the fundraiser. And then we did to write love in our arms. Um, you know, I grew up in a family of alcoholism, so to write love in arms was very important because it was about addiction, recovery, mental health, Um, so it was nice because we're able to start the conversation, um, that felt so shameful. Um, and, and it it was so nice because I was able to connect the two things, the community and the music. Um, so that's really what started it. And, um, you know, I I was doing business classes in high school and my mom mentioned, you know, why don't you consider a career in the music industry? And I'm like, ah, does that even exist? Like, you know, I, I don't really know what's possible there. Um, and she found Syracuse University um, had now had a program called the Bandier program that started three years ago. Um, they see they were having success with um, getting people into the industry, getting internships without having parents or relationships or whatever. Um, so essentially democratizing the music industry by giving, you know, um, opportunities to people that didn't have the relationships. Because, I mean, my mom was in finance and my dad was in construction. So I had no w- ways to get in otherwise. That's amazing. And I love two things that you touched on. But first, what you said about democratizing the industry, because 
Um, I was saying my mom's a chef. My dad works in museums. No music industry anything. Um, Vic, I don't think either of your parents had anything to do with music. You grew up They in, were classical like, musicians. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> nothing to yeah. do in the industry. Different industry. Yeah, exactly. Complete different industry. And um, this industry is so based on connection and, and it, you just have such a big leg up if you have family and friends and people in the industry and you grow up into it. Um, and I love how you put it because I don't think we've ever had someone say it like that. But I want to touch on your mentorship since we started on that route because you're still really connected with the Syracuse community. You mentor students and are still really involved in that realm. How did you get into that? And what about that is so important to you um, helping the next generation in music? Totally. I mean, so many people reached their hands um, back to me, especially when I, was at, when I was in school. You know, Bandier has this great class that we do. It, it was called the Resic Series. Um, and we would have industry professionals come in once a week and talk about their career from marketing, labels, A&R. Um, and, you know, I loved live music and I was, I was booking concerts at Syracuse. And I really liked that side of it, but I'm like, I want to be in the artist representation side. I want to be like closer to the music, um, but I still want to be able to do events. And then I found out, oh, that's what agencies do. Um, so then my laser focus turned into like agencies over the next three years at Syracuse. Um, so I did internships there. Um, you know, I was really lucky. Rob Light um, is a Syracuse alumni. He graduated in 1970. Actually, he didn't graduate. He's still three credits short, <laughs> which he will tell you. Um, <laughs> and, um, you know, he gave me my first job at CAA, um, which was just uh, amazing. And uh, he's so involved with Syracuse where um, every year he lectures at that series. Um, you know, he has these incredible stories. Uh and I, I, he really moved me. He moved me what he what he was working on at CAA, and and he was just so willing to help everyone. Like anyone that did a cold outreach, he's going to hate me for saying this. <laughs> a cold outreach, he'll be flooded. <laughs> like he responded to a lot of cold outreaches, you know, for random Syracuse kids um, and random people in general. Like you know, he. So you, I think he gave me a good guidance of how I should be in the industry of where we're constantly giving back and you just incorporate it into your life. You incorporate mentoring students, you incorporate um, doing lectures um, because you're doing it to try to help someone who um, didn't have the access. That's amazing. It's yeah, we talk about that a lot in um, I'm teaching songwriting classes at Belmont and we talk a lot about when you have success, reach back and help the next one in line, like Lori McKenna says in Humble and Kind, you know? Um, and we had a discussion about it just this week because they had the Hall of Fame ceremony uh, for the Nashville Songwriters Hall of Fame. And um, it was really incredible, like watching the inductions happen and seeing how incredible those songwriters were. But what was even more remarkable was watching them give their speeches and talk about how they got their opportunities. And it was always through relationships with people that they had, you know, formed some kind of cool friendship with. Um, that's how it happens in the business. And, and, but we, part of our conversation this week was about how that looked very much from the outside, like a boys club mm. when we were watching those speeches. There were very few women involved in, in the industry overall, but in, in the Hall of Fame, if you look at that, it's very slim. Uh, the numbers of women represented in there are very slim and disproportionately so. Um, so that kind of leads me to my next question for you is, um, did you experience any one-sidedness in your mentorship processes in your travel through the early stages of your career? I mean, at Syracuse, I definitely felt like I was working harder than most people there. Um, you know, I, I mean, I was constantly, you know, doing the show bookings, you know, I wanted to get to concert director, which was like the coveted title um, on campus. And, you know, I, I did feel like I was always kind of doing more. Um, but, you know, I liked it. So it was kind of just, you know, when, I feel like when you have a passion for these things, it's easier to ignore like the noise of, you know, people judging you, maybe saying something about it um, or, or having an idea. Um, I've really tried to keep blinders on. Um, I don't know if that's I don't know if that's a trauma mechanism or something, but I try to, <laughs> like, yeah. 
you know, like, you know, if people are saying something or people doing it that way, you know, I can only focus on like the next step. And am Mm -hmm. I like being a decent Mm -hmm. person, um, like while doing it and, you know, trying to strive for a better character. It's true. Like keeping blinders on. It's interesting that you say it that way. We've had some people that we've interviewed. It makes me think of Karen Kozowski, um, who's a producer in Nashville. And she talks about, she's like, if, if it's unfair to me, I don't know that I want to know. I would like to just not know what I'm missing and just keep working like it is fair, you know, um, because what are you going to do? <laughs> so it's it's an interesting, yeah, it, it, it's like, well, you have to choose if you're going to be angry about it or if you're just going to hold yourself in the place where you want to be and hold your standards to that place and choose where you're putting your energy to, to pay things forward. So um, have you experienced anything when you're booking for your clients and things like that? Have you experienced anything that has seemed like it's a rougher road for women than it is for men? You know, I, I think it, at, le- at least in certain genres, um, I noticed, uh, you know, I, I guess in hip hop, which kind of turned me off from that genre, um, was that it was very much a boys club that if you weren't smoking and drinking till three or 4 AM with them, you know, you kind of weren't allowed in. So that genre definitely felt, you know, know, I I worked in that genre in college and a little bit into, um, I mean, an EDM is the same. Uh, You know, if you're not willing to be out to four or 6 a.m., you know, you're not a part of the club. Uh, So for for the lifestyle that I want, that doesn't work. Um, (laughs) But hey, it works for some people. Some people have had a lot of success being that guy or being that girl. Um, you know, I do, I do see it's harder for women to thrive in those spaces. Um, because, you know, usually there's creepy men that are taking advantage of them being there to work. Um, and they're there to cover the show, you know, especially in the agency world, there was a lot of like female mentors that were agents and they worked in that space and, you know, guys were making creepy advances all the time. Um, so it, it, yeah, it's it's frustrating that it, you know, you don't see it as much, at least in pop, like on the outside. I'm sure on the inside, you know, there's a lot. But at least at the shows, like we're shutting it down by 11. Um, so it can't get too weird. I actually was hoping that you would touch on that if it was something that you'd experienced because um, I had the same experience from the writer side of I love hip hop, but I don't do it too much. I found it very simultaneously so much love and appreciation, but also I can't be here for 12 hours until 4 a.m. and I don't drink and I don't smoke. And, and I did have a lot of the only girl in the room and sometimes some very like, let's not hit on me. I'm just here right to write for you. I, you know, and that's interesting, but I, I was wondering if there was at all that same kind of thing on the business side too. Um, and it's interesting to hear that, but it also, um, makes me curious about, um, your experience, um, coming into the Nashville space and having experience at Altadena and being a little more on the countryside, what was that like? And also switching from CAA to more of a publishing A&R role. Yeah. I mean, the cool thing, it, it, it was a female mentor that got me the job at Altadena. Um, you know, I, I, I had reached out to her. Actually, she does, she does a podcast, The Idea Found, which is fabulous. And um, she had done a podcast with Dina LaPolt. She's an entertainment attorney in L.A. And I was so moved by it that I was compelled to reach out to both of them. And, you know, I talked to Julie for a few months, helped her with the podcast. And then, you know, I kind of got into a standstill in my career where, you know, between CAA and between Altadena, I had a year where I was, you know, trying to be an artist manager. Um, but, you know, it, it didn't work. Um, it was with developing artists. It wasn't enough to pay my rent. And, you know, it's okay. Um, But Julie was the one that I I was having conversations with her. I was like, you know, what should I do next? You know, I don't know if I want to be in touring, but I want to be in the creative field. And she's like, oh, let me think about it. And then two weeks later, she comes back and says, hey, um, you know, I do this board with Busby, um, the Grammy Foundation, and uh, he's looking for someone in Los Angeles to help build his business. Um, He already has um, Noreen Pruner in Nashville and Daniel Lee there. And we chatted for two hours and then I talked to Daniel and then I had the job within two days. Um, so it was cool that we, you know, it was, we were in completely different spaces in the industry. It almost felt like it was a different industry. Um, cause touring, it feels like it's a whole different 
type of, you know, per- people. And then songwriting and A&R, it's, it's, it's like a completely different network. Um, so I was kind of like a fish out of water for the first six months. <laughs> and, and then, you know, and then, and uh, they actually, you know, I came in as an A&R and then um, I shifted to marketing um, because, you know, it was just interesting because, you know, Noreen was wanting to do more in LA and I was kind of more like, we need to build the brand. We need to build, build the brand of the business. We need to like market these people because the labels aren't marketing these people. Like we need to figure out how to like move the needle. Um, so, you know, Daniel, great mentor and great boss. He, he saw that in me and he was like, you know what, let's try it. Let's, let's try having you be the marketing person. Um, yeah. And, and then we had so much viral success over the last, I mean, pandemic was great for our clients. I mean, Ryan Griffin, you know, he went viral multiple times. Uh, and it was actually, you know, interns that I worked with over the summer that were like, you guys need to be on this. And we did like a TikTok class on like the lighting, um, where you are, you know, all the different types of things. And then Riley and Ryan like benefited, you know, both of them did incredible. That's yeah. such a great evolution of your career, even within that business. And it touches on something earlier that I wanted to bring up again, which is trying things and maybe thinking you want to be in one space and realizing it doesn't work for you or realizing that you have a passion somewhere else and adjusting and shifting and not um, letting that stall you. I think a lot of people, whether the industry side or the creative side, they think they want something or they think that this is going to be their end goal. And when it doesn't work out or when a new opportunity presents itself that's different than their idea. Um, It can be really shocking and stalling sometimes, but you seem to have a great view on things and just adapt and shift and, and not really focus on that. Is that something that you've learned to hone over time? And have you had issues of like, oh my God, I can't believe this isn't working out or I, I don't didn't think that I wanted to be in this space or have you always been very go with the flow with all that stuff? Oh, a thousand percent. I've ne- I never was go with the flow. I mean, I was, <laughs> <laughs> it was like a huge shift. Um, I mean, I thought I was going to be an agent for 25 years. You know, my, mm-hmm. my big plan, this is what I came up with when I was 18 years old. And, you know, I was like, okay, I'm going to be an agent for 25 years. Then I'm going to pick my three favorite clients. Then I'm going to be their manager. And then, like, my life is over. Like, wow. and then this is, this is all planned out. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, I really was bullish on this thing. And I pushed and I pushed and I pushed. And, you know, it didn't bring happiness. You know, what I wanted at 18 is a lot different than what my priority is now at 29. Um, like, 10 years of experience of, you know, actually being in the day-to-day of what these things are. Um, you know, I'm realizing I, what I've came up with this year is like how I've looked at my career um, was, you know, I need to just have an overall goal and multiple companies and like artists and, and whatnot can meet that goal. So I want to get more money in the artist's pocket because if we don't get money in their pocket, they can't continue this way of life. So you could do that at multiple places, um, you know, whether it's at Altadena doing marketing, whether it's at CAA doing this. Like, if I have one goal, like, it makes everything easier. And then I'm not like shape shifting mm. to force myself in one certain way. That's a great way of looking at it. It's like, how do you consolidate your, your goal down into something that translates across different realms in the music business but it's like it's like your mission statement right this is my mission statement this is what I want to do and whatever context I'm working in as long as it applies in that direction I'm happy because it aligns with that I I love that because I think a lot of the times people get very caught up in the perception from the outside of what is the glamorous thing to be doing in the business or you know what what's turning people's heads and and the first thing that comes to mind when they think about ooh, what's the career that I want um, but yeah, like you said, pretty quickly you get in there and you and you see what it's really like and you realize, wait a minute, this might not totally align with how I want my day-to-day life to be. And happiness, your own happiness starts to become a consideration in the whole thing. And um, so I love, I love that idea of basically creating your mission statement. And once you hit your target, it... Um we never know what else is going on. We just have a goal. Mm-hmm. And once we get there, 
life still happens. There's so mm-hmm. uh, we have a tendency to think that everything's going to be perfect once I sign that and deal then I get, and get there that and job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you get there and you're like coasting mm-hmm. through the next 20, 30 <laughs> right. years of life and you get there and you're like, "Oh, there's so much I didn't consider and life still is going on and you're going to have ups and downs. And um, I just recently went through one of those, shout out to my therapist, I literally three days ago was like, it feels so weird to get exactly what you wanted and be a little scared because there was something that you didn't know was going to be part of that. And it's um, it makes me curious as to like, your and also what you're speaking to about the EDM world and the hip hop world and deciding that hey that's not the kind of life that I want long term what does as your career has been evolving and you've grown into spaces that you are learning that you love and you're really good at what has work life balance looked like for you and is do you feel like you're at a good balancing place or is that still a work in progress uh, I think we got it to a good place. You know, I, I've gotten right. stronger with workplace boundaries. I mean, you know, any of the agencies, not just CAA, uh, you know, especially the first few years, you're putting in insane amounts of hours um, and you're going to shows, you're networking and you need to kind of, you need to be showing up at work still at not, you're, you're still there nine to seven, but then you're going out and then you need to be networking. You know, it was very much a community of you know, intensity. Um, I had no life. I mean, I really, you know, all of my friends were at work and, um, and it's not a bad thing. You know, that's sometimes what we need to do to get to the next thing. But, um, you know, I, I, I did experience the burnout after three and a half years. Um, and I didn't know how to deal with the burnout either. Um, I, I, I was having trouble talking to people about it. I, you know, I was having trouble like sharing with my family what was happening. Um, you know, and, th- and then I did that management thing for a year. And, uh, you know, it kind of got, it got worse mentally, honestly, um, because now I had no structure. I went from like intense structure to like no structure. Um, so both sides of the spectrum didn't really work, um, you know, and I was actually about to move back to New York and kind of give up on music in 2018. And then, um, you know, when I had talked to, had that conversation, it was like, come to Jesus with, with Julie where I was like, I don't know what's next. Um, you know, I love music and I love this, but I don't know what's happening. And, um, you know, and then that week, and, and this is where, you know, my spirituality does come in. Um, I was like, you know what, I, I'm moving, you know, I'm, I'm giving um, uh, notice on my apartment and I'm moving back to New York and I'm gonna live in my mom's basement and just like give up. I don't know what the plan was after that. Like, <laughs> um, and that week, a friend asked, like, is there any chance you would stay in Los Angeles? And I was like, unless a job falls from the sky, I'm leaving. And that was this, that was all to Dina. This was <laughs> the job fell from, from the sky. Job that fell from the sky. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what? Wow. And, you know, it was everything I wanted. It was, you know, having different arms in label and publishing and management. It was all I want. You know, I wanted to be closer to the artists. I wanted to really develop them and help and get in the creative side. So I was like, wow, that's like a that that's a higher power or God working in my life. Um, And then ever since then, things like that have just continued to happen. Like when I'm in enough pain or like stress about something, um, that's when it's like time to let it go and let it work itself out. And usually it works itself out within like a week. You know, it might not be the outcome that I expected, but like it gets cleared up. That's fascinating. And and I love that you were, it's like you were hungry for something new. You were hungry for something different. And I think we need to, as a society, normalize changing careers, changing directions, experiencing different sides of things throughout life. It's like we have this weird perception that if you're not in this career and you just stay in the same career, it's like a, some kind of a failure if you change midstream. But that I mean, research shows that people do this at, periodically through their lives. And it's because you just get tired or it stops working or it just isn't compatible with the, your new phase of life. And um, so... It, you're just always looking for the for the next way to explore what you're capable of through your job. And um, so tell us a little bit about your position that you're in now, your artist relations position um, at Applause. Uh, what's that like? So, yeah, so I started there August, yeah, t- 2021. Um, and I, w- you know, I was really craving to be in music slash tech just to kind of see 
what it would be like, um, you know, with Spotify and Apple and TikTok and all of these companies converging into the music industry. Um, I thought, you know, this could be a cool next step. Uh, you know, I should start applying to things like this and, and seeing if um, there's a fit somewhere. Um, you know, so I was applying to all those companies and then um, Applause reached out to me literally through LinkedIn and said, hey, you know, we're, we're working on building this company. Um, we've been around for a year. Um, you know, would you be interested in interviewing? Um, and, uh, you know, I, I saw this again as like a higher power moment where maybe this is a nudge in a direction I should be heading. Um, so, so I just showed up for the interviews. I, you know, I wasn't sure if this is, you know, what I wanted to do at first. Um, but, you know, I, again, like it aligned with that mission statement um, where, okay, applause is a way for people to do in-event tipping. It's interactive. You see your fans face-to-face. They pretty much solved the problem that I was having at Altadena with my artists. So, you know, Riley Roth, you know, she constantly was doing Instagram, you know, lives, TikTok lives, but she doesn't see any money off of that. Um, you know, she's putting out content into the ether. Monetizing and like, that content is, yeah, becomes exactly. <laughs> and then when they showed me this product where it was, you know, you know, the app is on, you know, it's powered by Zoom and where you're able to tip within the event, you can use Apple Pay. It's like nice and seamless. Um, you're not begging people for tips because there's a little goal at the top left-hand corner side where it says like, bring me to your city. And then like you put a predetermined goal. So you're not constantly saying like, hey, pay me. Like, you know, you're not begging. Um, It has the gaming technology of like the hearts and there's gifts and like, um, and then, you know, the two-way audio video. So at least you're getting reactions. Um, And then the claps are amazing because- The applause sound, which is so nice. Yeah. So you actually get real-time feedback. Like it feels like a show. Like I get a high off of these shows like I used to, you know, in person. And, you know, we're not trying to replace the live experience. The live experience will always be separate, but it's better than like any other product that I've seen that these artists have been using over pandemic. Well, and it's opened up a whole new realm in the pandemic of kind of forcing artists into figuring out this side of their business. And it's, it's a side of your business that should be, I mean, it it should be bringing in income when you're doing these kinds of things, but like it just has been really clunky so far (laughs) because the technology just wasn't really there. It's like we had to play catch up um, with all of it. So this is, it's really cool to hear that. And aside from the money of it, the the live show aspect of the applause and seeing people and having that during the pandemic, doing live streams like you were talking about, you don't get the feedback. You don't. You just go, okay, that's the end of my song. That's like, one of the weirdest moments so when you're like, finished no one's song. in the room. Yeah, like, you're like, cool. cricket, cricket. <laughs> yeah, it feels like you're going crazy talking to yourself. So it's really lovely to have that happen and. Um, everyone, I, I've had the pleasure of getting to use it and do a show on there with Kelly and their team. And, um, and it was so fun and everyone was so helpful. And earlier when you were talking about, um, we were having a conversation about tech and everything, like the troubleshooting, I am not super techie. I can do my music stuff, but by no means am I very well versed in everything. Quick, easy, super great to use. Everyone was, um, really helpful and knowledgeable. And I think that also is a problem that hasn't been solved because with stuff like Instagram and other platforms, you don't have help. You don't have people helping you set up. And I think that's a barrier for creatives as well, not feeling confident in that side of things. And so having a platform that's easy to use and people to troubleshoot that I think is also um, a, a silent but very necessary thing behind the scenes that takes down that barrier a little bit more. So it's awesome. Well, and your, and your goal that you were talking about of trying to put money into the artist's pockets and trying to figure out how to monetize things for the artists is ties right in to a lot of what we talk about in this podcast, which is issues that specifically women in country music, women in Nashville typically have a hard time monetizing what they're doing um, because of the issues with country radio not playing women. And so like someone like Riley Roth is up against that. She's a woman who should be played on country radio does not really have that option, is not being embraced by radio. So this is empowering those artists to survive basically without that and to find their audiences without that, to monetize what they're doing and grow their fan base. And so that in combination with TikTok, they can go around these gatekeepers that are not letting them through. Um, So it, 
is in alignment with that. And I'm, I'm guessing that's something that you realize in what you're doing. Oh, totally. I mean, it's, yeah, it, 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 it's sad to see, you know, you can have all these, like, you know, Riley has all these viral hits and yet it's still ho- so hard to get on radio, you know, cause they only have the certain amount of slots for, you know, women in country. And I think Carly Pierce has been so great at like helping to push that like narrative forward. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I mean, this is a like a, a way to let's let's monetize your audience, even though, you know, the industry might not be accepting you, um, you know, the way that we'd like to see our artists accepted, um, you know, and my focus has been really on emerging artists that are doing, you know, all of this stuff and they're not seeing any returns. Um, you know, we had uh, an artist from like Pittsburgh uh, perform the other day and they made $450 like in one live stream. I'm like, this is, this is, I mean, if, if you, if you build an audience, you yeah, know, this is good money. I'd, I'd love to ask you to uh, sort of a, a personal question about your own journey, just because um, you obviously have a great confidence in connecting with other people and that's your job and you've worked in these realms that requires you to communicate really clearly and stand up for other people and stand up for yourself and do you have a history in your life of being a confident person of standing up for yourself is that something you've had to develop over time do you struggle with that for yourself are you better at doing it for other people than for you what does that look like for you Totally. Um, yeah, I mean, I haven't always been confident. I think, um, you know, there's a, a lot of my life was driven on fear and insecurity. Um, you know, I, I was also, you know, I, I was obese for part of my life too, where, you know, I didn't think people wanted to look at me. I, you know, I kind of didn't see myself really as a girl. I kind of just, and in a way of like, I kind of just saw myself as like existing, not really like no one cares about like what I look like or whatever. It was very, very interesting, something I had to work through in therapy. Um, but now the confidence comes from, I think, you know, I do self-esteem building acts. You know, I, I try to help people where I can. I try to connect people where I can. Um, you know, as much as it might be helping them, it actually helps me probably be, probably more because, you know, anything that I could feel achy or uncomfortable about, um, I try to, I try to push through it by like, okay, how can I be helpful to the next person? Like what, what, what am I not seeing? Um, you know, interns are like my, are my favorite thing about any of these jobs because, you know, they're excited and they're green and they just love, like their energy is so helpful. Like they're, they're just so excited. We could all keep that our whole lives. Um, That feeling. I wish I could be this thrilled about everything. (laughs) Um, So, I I mean, I get a lot of, you know, and and when they say like, oh, Kelly, like you've changed my career, you've helped me in this way, it it really feels good. Um, So I feel like all of those types of things like help me with my self-esteem building. That's a really amazing answer. I was not expecting you to be so honest with that. Not that I thought that you wouldn't, but um, it's difficult to be so personal in such a, a public space like a podcast. Um, and you touched on something that I don't think we've ever delved too deep into in a personal way. We've talked about body image issues and what it's like to be a woman in the public eye in the music industry. Um, but I want to, from a, if you're okay with it, it, not in a personal way, but, um, I want to ask like how you've used that to, champion other people and and how your experience that you touched on with being overweight I have the same experience growing up like that also work on it in therapy and also like really delve into that especially being in this industry that's so look based Um, and I've been seeing very very recently um, a lot of really beautiful videos of women um, on Instagram on TikTok speaking out about um, becoming having the conventional body type after being um, overweight and pretty privilege or skinny privilege or what that looks like and how it very often will give you such a deep sense of understanding and empathy, but also having had that experience, um, it 
you spend a lot of time observing and not being able or welcome to participate um, or feeling like you are wanted in spaces. Like I've heard that story from a lot of people in the music industry, especially women. Um, And I think it gives us a superpower in terms of being able to really understand people and see intentions and see personalities and see traits and how people treat other people. It, for me, feels very much like I grew up in a restaurant. My parents own a restaurant. And it's the same thing of like going on a date or hanging out with new friends. And if they treat the waiter badly or the Uber driver badly, it says something about them. And I, I'm just, that was a very long way of saying I'm curious on if you have any thoughts about how your experience of feeling unwelcome or feeling not seen um, in those ways has has it given you a superpower in that way? Does it inform your ability to do your job um, maybe in some ways better than other people because you've had those experiences or is it something that you don't think really affects it? I think it helps a lot. Um, I, I think it, it really has helped my way of relating with artists because um, I had that area blocked off definitely while I was at the on the agency side where I didn't let anyone share. I didn't share anything. I mean, I was like a little, I was a brick wall. Like you didn't know anything about me. Um, And then slowly as I've been doing the work, you know, the vulnerability has came out where I've been able to share a little bit more about my experience. Um, But yeah, I mean, you know, body image is an interesting subject because I think a lot of us were fed different things when we were, you know, kids and, um, but it it, it affects our work. Um, You know, for part of my job, which I didn't think this was going to be part of my job, is now I'm on camera and I'm like the MC for two events each week. You know, I never expected that. <laughs> um, you know, there would have been a lot of discomfort, but now it's like, oh, okay, well, um, this is what we're doing. No one, ca- no one cares what I look like. It's just the reminder of no one cares what I look like. No one cares. It's we're all just here. We're all humans. Are we a decent person? That's how I try to look at it. Um, but it definitely has helped me, you know, for example, if someone if someone shares with me, actually, this was an example last week. Um, you know, we, we get testimonial videos from a lot of the people that use the platform. And the next day, an artist had her wisdom teeth surgery. And, and you know, my boss asked, hey, like, can we get a video from her? And I was like, you know, she's not gonna, she's not gonna want to do a video today. She just had wisdom too. She's, she's puffy. Like, I know I personally am not going to do a video like the next day. So I guess that's, you know, an example of where I see, okay, you know, maybe in a a week she'll feel comfortable, but right now she's not going to feel comfortable. Um, And also just, you know, creating safe spaces on the events too, or just, you know, so people can share you know, without them feeling discomfort, um, where I, you know, I like to try to do the transitions so the artist can just focus on their music and focus on putting a good performance on. So they don't have to focus on like, how am I going to like, you know, move this to the next person? Like, this is kind of awkward. No one's turning their cameras on, you know, I, I try to create safe spaces wherever I am. Um, because when everyone else is, when I'm vulnerable and everyone else is vulnerable, everyone feels more connected. I mean, I feel connected. Um, but I feel like when there's walls up or we're, or we're not talking about the elephant in the room, then then nothing, nothing moves forward. It's advocacy from experience. And I think we talk about that so much when it comes to creating songwriters and artists. We talk about how amazing it is to be open and how hard it is and how it's our job to get to the root of um, people's emotional state, good, bad, ugly, whatever. But we often really overlook the role that the team behind the scenes plays in that and how important it is like you said to have someone on the team um that's that's a woman that's gonna say hey a guy might be willing to do that in like a t-shirt and pajamas or like looking puffy but a girl probably won't because there's a little bit more judgment or maybe guys wouldn't either and and having um someone be that advocate um even like in our show people were very shy to turn their cameras on and i noticed that you were very like excited and and it made it feel like the burden was off the creator to uphold that as well because you also have a live MC at live shows um usually and i i think that's a beautiful way to connect it that i didn't even think of until you were answering the question but um well and part of your job in that is setting the tone and and when you set the tone 
you, it's almost like you you create with your energy that you come into that relationship with you you create the cue of how comfortable to feel how vulnerable to be um and and those things are necessities you have to feel comfortable in order to really relate to your fans and relate through a computer screen <laughs> you know it's like how do you create that warm uh space for that person so um that's really cool that you're able to use those superpowers that way <laughs> yeah like that. It, it's it's been fun and on the flip side of that has have um on your personal journey throughout your career and everything have you experienced any um things like um i mean women are always pit- pitted against each other or even just people in this industry are um and it's most of the time unnecessary and unwarranted and not even true um i listened to a podcast of the women from i want to say one tree hill um and they were talking about how they all as young actresses were told by producers that this girl doesn't like you and she's talking smack about you behind your back and then years later they realized none of that was true they were being pitted against each other from their own you know people that were supposed to be on their team and it makes me wonder if you've yourself experienced any um jealousy where you're like oh there's no reason for that i feel like it's just societal conditioning let me look into that or um any times where you've been made to feel pitted against somebody and had to do the personal work to unlearn and disconnect from things that don't serve you or maybe aren't true yeah i mean you know i've had my own jealousy in my career you know um, I don't know where it came from, but a lot of it was, I, I was always the compare and despair. You know, if someone was getting promoted over me, um, I took it on as a knock on me. Meanwhile, this person's just having their own journey. They're separate. But for some reason, whenever someone else would, it, you know, it, it's, it's a story that I tell myself. It's like me assigning meaning to someone else doing well. Um, so... It's just, I've had to unlearn that. Um, and, and thankfully, you know, I've gotten better at doing that. And, you know, gossip's a big thing too. I think that, I think gossip kind of helps um, with the jealousy and the envy and whatnot. Um, where I, you know, I've, I've really had to like kind of abstain from doing that. Where it's like, you know, as much as I want to like gossip and like get the stitch, like it's not helpful. Like it's going to make me feel bad about myself eventually. And then... And it's also not based in reality because we're trying to manipulate the other person to think the way we're thinking. Um, That's really what gossip is. Um, So I've had to kind of just like, you know, I I had some frustrating things happen at work the last two weeks and um, some things I didn't agree with. And I was like, and you know, one of my friends was like, Kelly, whatever you do, do not talk about this with other people. Like, don't just leave it, (laughs) leave it where it is. (laughs) You know, I could talk about it with like, you know, my boyfriend or, you know, because, you know, he's there to provide a safe space for me to, like, share my feelings and whatnot. But I don't need to go to other people in the industry and, like, share about it because it's not it's not fair. It's like it's like defaming someone. Um, so, I, you know, and I can't um, I can't tell other people what to do with their lives. But like at least if I try to do this by example, hopefully it'll like create a ripple effect eventually. Yeah. That's a really nice um, thing to have too, speaking to your work-life balance of being able to have friends and a partner and people that you can speak with openly with and, and have that. And then also as you grow and learn, know when to speak and when to hold back in those spaces. I think that's a learning curve for every single person. I know I've had it of when to share and when to not. I'm already an oversharer, so it's definitely something to learn for everybody. Um, but it just, I, I feel like as a human, you are so, um, well-rounded comes to mind and that seems very like weird to say, but it feels like you are so light and beautiful and, and you have such a, a, a beautiful light to your personality. And it, I just feel like in this conversation, it's been such a beautiful, um, an honest look at like your life and you've done so much. And I mean, what is your favorite part of what you do, your favorite part of your career? Um, And is there anything that an artist you've worked with or someone you've worked with has done that's really changed your life in a positive way? It could be a story, an act of kindness, anything like that. Like what are are the best parts of this for you? Um, I love the connection in the community. I think that's really... um 
I think I lost sight of that a few years ago, but now I'm like seeing, oh, cool. Like every time we do one of these shows, like I get to like be friends with these people after and we get to like share life together and we get to have conversations and, and spend time together. You know, I might not necessarily be like their manager or their agent or whatever, but the cool thing about being in this space is that, you know, I get to help them with this area, but we're only a part of the piece of the puzzle with everything else they're doing. So now instead of like having to be like, oh, like we need to compete to like get this artist to like be on our roster, I get to like be friends with everyone. Um, and I get to be like the extra support. You know, one of the artists we had the other day, um, sometimes my unsolicited advice, uh, I was like, you know, you should just change your custom audio on TikTok to this so that like when it pops off, like people have like the name recognition. So it's like cool that I'm able to like just give help um, and not need to, um, you know, I I get a lot of fulfillment out of that stuff. But yeah, I'm friends with like this guy in the middle of America now from this from this job. And, you know, we just really connected. You you have said things a couple times that made me think about this, the talking about human connection in terms of what can I give, how can I help, and how you find your happiness in that and you find your relationships through that. And I think that's a really important thing to learn. And it takes some people a long time to learn that relationships become more authentic and more grounded and more solid when you go into them not asking what can I what what do I need from this person but instead asking how can I help them what can I give them even in some little way today like the little tip about TikTok you know just how how can I love this person somehow today and give them something that they need and um so I can tell that you're the kind of person that kind of thinks that way and I think that's reflected in how people see you and and in the relationships you're forming and that's why you're able to connect with people so well and so deeply so quickly and maintain those connections so that's kudos to you for figuring out that part of the puzzle (laughs) so young oh thank you (laughs) it sounds like you already had that the start I mean tying your shows to nonprofits early on in high school and knowing that that was something that you wanted to bring in and then also I love how you spoke about your spirituality everyone has um, different beliefs and sometimes they overlap and, and, and all that. But overwhelmingly I've found, especially in private conversations and especially with women in, in the entertainment industry, how, how much having some kind of spirituality or just philosophy of life, even if you don't believe in anything higher, um, can really affect and change for the better, the trajectory of your whole career and your experience on that trajectory. Um, has that been something that you've always had or has it been growing and evolving as you've grown and evolved in this journey? Yeah. I mean, I love that question. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I grew up as a Catholic and, you know, unfortunately the way it was presented to me was like a very demanding, mean God that, you know, you know, wanted you to do things a certain way and you were bad if you didn't do this, this way. Um, So I became very disconnected, I think, throughout college where I was like, what is this God? This isn't like a helpful God. Um, And, uh, and, you know, we went to church services. I went to Catholic school till I was in third grade. Um, You know, it just wasn't the way I really saw a higher power. And then, you know, it was the eating disorder that finally like kicked me down enough to where I couldn't do li- I couldn't continue to do life the way I was doing it. So I had to find a solution, you know, um and you know, you know I do 12 step recovery and and with that it is, you know, you have to find a god that you of your own understanding. So, um like it's a, it's the only key to success there. Um so, you know, as I started to see, oh, wow, god took me out of a situation that was not going to turn was you know, a few looking back wasn't going to turn out the way like I would have liked it to turn out. So I see how I was protected in a lot of different ways. I was removed from relationships that were not good for me. Um, you know, things have been added. You know, I, I was hesitant about moving um, a year ago to this area, but had I not moved to this area, my hinge wouldn't have connected me with my boyfriend because I it would have been out of the radius. So I was like, even something like that, that's insane. That's like like there's there's no explanation for that stuff like I was so hesitant 
on my own will, I wouldn't have moved to this area. But had I not moved to this area, I wouldn't have met my boyfriend that is very loving and kind, you know, does the work too. Um, you know, I wouldn't have found this job. I mean, this job also found, fell from the sky. I wasn't applying for this job. You know, for me to have my last two jobs to just pop out of nowhere, like, is just, I mean, there has to be, you know, there has to be a God. Um, so, you know, I'm just, I'm really grateful um, that these things have worked out. Um, and, and it's just a reminder, like the next time I'm in fear, I need to just, we need to go to trust and then trust that this is, this person's being removed. This is happening for a reason. I don't know what the reason is. And I'm pissed that I don't know what the reason is, but like, we're just going to need to accept it and like, keep going. Yeah. When hindsight's <laughs> on your side, you'll you know, know. <laughs> you'll be able to look back and get context. Exactly. It's yes. so easy. I, I always try to tell myself that too. It's like, oh, if I could just go back and visit myself anytime in the past when I was freaking out and upset, I would say it's going to be okay. So somewhere, somewhere in my future, there's a me that just really wants to come back right now and tell me that it's going to be okay. You know? <laughs> Right. So, um, I love that. Yeah, it always works yes. out. It always works yes. out. But it's really hard. Well, and that's why that's why I need community because during those really painful moments of where you're just there's so much uncertainty, it's like okay, I need to like talk to someone about this because like I need someone to sit with me with this because I can't sit with this myself. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's actually the perfect segue to get into our questions. So um, our first one is: if you could ask God a question, what would it be? Um, probably be like, why is there so much pain in the world? It would be nice to know the answer to that one. Yeah. And, yeah. The second question is, if you could clone yourself and live in a totally different life, what would the other you be or do? You know, I, I mean, I have, I found so much healing in therapy and, you know, psychiatry that, you know, there is a chance that that would be something that, you know, if I had another career, that would be the career. Question three, what is one thing that people don't know about you? Uh, I guess, I mean, I used to be, a, you know, a, a singer in middle school. And, you know, I did want to be a singer when I was, when I grew up. What is your favorite thing about yourself? Um, I think my empathy. And um, if you could go back in time and visit yourself, like we were talking about, what advice would you give to the younger you? Um, that it's going to be okay and focus more on your relationships versus focusing on your career. Mm, that's a good one. It's been really fun talking with you. I appreciate both of you guys. It's, it's, it's so cool to get to do things like this. And, and I mean, that's the beauty of Zoom is that we get to connect with people that, you know, we wouldn't normally get to connect with. Yeah, thank you so much. This has been really wonderful. Thanks for sharing your time. To stay up to date on all things The Table on social media, join us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at the handle at sign the table women. Our theme song, Stop You, is written and performed by yours truly, Sarah DeFores, co-written by Taylor Foley and Will Macbeth, and produced by Will Macbeth. And as always, we'll include links to any creatives, music, television, etc. referenced in this episode in the episode notes. We'll see you next time on The, the Table. Do what you want, work what you got, say what you think, and don't let them stop you. Stop you.